Data-Driven Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data-Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing data skills, the Data-Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of StoryIQ, Dominic Bohan. Today, we're going to hear about the future of learning and development in the AI era. Joining us today is Maria Laws, Director of Learning Experience Design at Ahura AI, Inc., which builds innovative AI tech tools to support learning and development that center on the learner and create more efficient teams and a deeper culture of learning. So today, we're going to discuss the future of learning and development in the era of AI. Here's my conversation with Maria Laws, Director of Learning Experience Design at Ahura AI. Maria, thanks for joining us on the Data Driven Podcast today. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Can you give us a bit of background about your experience in the field of learning and development and how you came to be Director of Learning Experience Design at Ahura AI? Sure, great. Thank you so much. Well, um, I started as an educator, a high school science teacher for about 20 years. And as part of those 20 years, I also got to spend five years as a professor at UC Berkeley here in California in the Bay Area where I live. And during that time, I really focused on how do we build our pipeline of STEM STEM folks beyond the traditional model, right? How do we create those thinkers that are going to drive innovation? And that's been a very exciting space for me. During that time, I also got an additional degree in art. And I found that that was a really interesting integration that invited new minds into the space of identifying as as a science innovator that wouldn't have normally been there. And so when I got approached to do some volunteer work to kind of mimic some of that same thinking for an international nonprofit, that was great. And then that person actually went on to start Ahura AI and like brought me over and said, hey, I'm trying to build a tool to scale some of this new thinking around how we build the innovators that we need for the next generation. And I really need an educator to help center the drive and drive um, the direction of our technology. And so that's why I'm there. Very exciting work. And tell us a bit more about Ahura AI and what they're all about. Sure, absolutely. You know, there are so many great tools already on the market that really try to help a learner at home, which is how many adults are learning now, right? If you're in the workforce, online learning is great for us because it can fit into our schedule. There are lots of great tools that are free resources from all kinds of award-winning universities and other spaces that are right there in your computer. Great. However, what we know is that we're horrible at learning online uh, uh, by ourselves. Like seriously, we're really bad at it. And I see you shaking your head even in our lovely little studio right now. We're not good. And in fact, some of the early studies that we looked at at really some fancy places where folks that were spending, thinking they were spending an hour online learning when we looked at the actual relevant data about the websites they were looking at compared to what they said they were learning, it was like eight minutes of that hour was actually spent doing what they said they were going to do. You know, it's not just that you've got family things at home or unstable Wi-Fi. You've also got Slack channel, which is my personal nemesis for anything I'm trying to do on the computer. You've got YouTube, you've got FaceTime, Instagram, your phone just in general. So we really started thinking about, okay, well, there's all kinds of great things to tutor you on Python or calculus or leadership skills, management, communication, but 
if you can't stay engaged long enough to get anything out of them, you go away feeling sort of demoralized that you didn't fix, like actually meet your goal, which actually impacts you as a learner for the next thing. Meaning it's not just in that moment that you didn't do what you wanted. It's going to keep you from doing the next thing because now you're saying, well, I'm just not good at this. I'm not good at this. So we really set out to solve that problem. What is it, the roles that are filled by say a teacher or facilitator that make those experiences so robust and rewarding that are missing online? And how can we use technology to fill those gaps as best we can? So think of it sort of like a Fitbit for learning, if you will, is one of the ways that we kind of describe it, where we're giving data back to you about what you're doing and a little nudge or a prompt to make some changes. So it's a little bit more than just, say, um, the tutor. It's a really a tutor about how you are as a learner and utilizing your own data to drive your learning plans. So yeah, I'm really excited about this idea about how to create that sort of supportive teacher in a tech form. And the reason why I care about that, I know that sounds crazy because I am a teacher. Why would I want something to, to do that instead of me? But there are so many places around the world where there isn't someone to do that. And so how do we fill the gap at a expense level that can be applied in a really universal way to close the gap of equity and opportunity around the world? So is Ahura AI somewhat similar to a product like Carnmigo, which many listeners might be familiar with, where it's a virtual AI powered tutor? You know, I love that you mentioned that. I would say that we are the partner to Conamigo and that Conamigo is still talking about content, but we are the same sort of personalized tutor, but about how to be a better learner, how to set plans, what's your mindset. Now you're distracted. Let's try this. This might be the reason. So this idea of setting up those other supports beyond the content itself. Okay. Does it do the content help as well? So Khan Migo's big thing is it uses the Socratic method. So you're trying to solve an algebra problem. And instead of giving you the answer, it's like, hey, have you thought about uh, moving this term to the other side of the equation or whatever, sort of gently prompting you there? So you're saying you offer that, but also a broader kind of guidance on your approach to learning in general, how you're going with different courses, the sort of things that a live human tutor would do, like, hey, Maria, are you having a bit of a tough day today? Like, could it almost go to that level and say, um, have you thought about studying in shorter bursts? Yeah, that's exactly the level. So when I first came to Ahura, this isn't about tutoring the content. So whatever content you're looking at, Ahura is a layover around you as a learner. So for example, you can set up your learning plans. Lots of things have that. But literally in real time as you're learning, when you have Ahura on, where our, our camera is capturing how you're focusing, that's the, that's the kind of innovative model that we're building about what does focus look like in the face, the eyes, and the body? And then when we see those signals, what do the signals tell us about why you're not focusing? Is it because you're frustrated? You need a stress break. Are you tired and need a bio break? Are you confused about something? Can we now suggest an additional resource? So it's not really direct tutoring about the content. It's more about, okay, it looks like you're, you're off screen right now. It might be time to get back to work, you know, get off your phone. Like, and then we also offer sort of the science of learning behind it about why you should schedule things a certain way 
why you should consider taking a break right now, the idea that the physical and the mental go together. And that's a, a big part of what we're missing, I think, in the conversation around when people are learning alone, they're sort of only attending to their brain and not their bodies, and they, they affect each other. So even those small things that sound really little, hey, it's time to take a five-minute bio break, will signal you to come back in five. That actually matters for you to actually retain and apply the things that you're trying to do in the moment. Okay, great. So it's using your camera, and then it's also presumably capturing where you're clicking and what you're doing on the screen, and then using that to act like a human tutor would, to guide you through the learning experience in general, as opposed to any specific content. Absolutely. Okay, cool. And does that mean that it's very easy to integrate new content? So I've got some random course uh, that I've purchased, and I can easily integrate that with my Ahura experience. You don't need to partner with that course provider. Ahura can just see what I'm doing and figure it out. Absolutely. It's an extension. So whether you're on a YouTube channel, if you're on an LMS, your your particular company has its own platform, whatever it might be, if even you're on LinkedIn Learning or any Coursera, Udemy, whatever it is that you're using, this is sort of the overlay. And, you know, for us too, it's sort of an interesting space because again, this it's really when you think about your Fitbit, how empowering that is that it's your data, it's for you. It's not a surveillance thing. It's not any other thing. It is literally to help you better attempt to do the things that you said you wanted to. And that's really, really what we're seeing, even as the impacts are very positive. Uh, and also that they have, I think for me as an educator, taking away the idea of training as a one moment thing, okay, they learned the thing and then put that aside. What we know is that learning is identity work. And whatever your experience was with one particular learning content or whatever it might be role that you're preparing for, how that went impacts how the next one's going to go. Because you've already made some decisions about your identity and your ability based on that experience. So every time we improve your experience about learning, it transfers over, which is a really positive reinforcement cycle that reduces the the load on managers to do the not fun thing of many reminder emails to finish a particular training, or it really just helps people become much more independent and kind of like proactive learners for themselves. Okay. So is it fair to say the more I use it, the better it's going to get to know me and the better it's going to be able to help me? Absolutely. And that's what we've seen. Yeah, we've seen that in our trainings as well in our in our, all of our pilots as well, that the, the impact gets stronger, the more you use it against just like your Fitbit or anything, any of the other helpful apps that you have, their uh, power grows, the more that you engage with it. Is the main way people interface with it through chat? How do people kind of talk to it? No, literally, like you just press uh, start session. Yeah, it's, it's mm. accessed through your camera. All of the data that is that is reflected back to you is on your computer. We don't house any of that. We're we're pretty we're pretty innovative in our approaches to ethical AI. We have some really great big names on our team that are working to ensure that we are doing everything possible to um, allow people to feel comfortable um, utilizing the power of the tool for themselves. So yeah, it's only through camera. That's that's all that needs to happen. And from there, we are looking at emotion data, content relevance for websites, and the model that we're building specifically around what does focus look like, which has been really fun for me. That's a big part of my job because um, you know emotions can look very different 
across people, across culture. But focus is a different thing. Um, and there are some really big indicators that get us to that funnel of what what is the support that needs to happen. And so, so many issues can be solved in a pretty quick nudge if it's consistent. So it's it's been really engaging to kind of look at the science behind all the things that we as educators have done forever <laughs> in the classroom with students and see how we can translate that in a way that adults can access on their own for their own purposes. How does it feed its help back to the user? Absolutely. Yeah. So there are two ways. The first way is in real time. In real time, there's a pop-up window that'll pop up a nudge and said, hey, it looks like you are on your cell phone. Um, and then you have the chance to either say, I'm back now, or, you know, or it might be, no, I'm taking notes that you can actually train your AI to know that maybe the angle isn't exactly what we were expecting. So now we can adjust that for you. Uh, so yeah, and then the person can go back to normal. And then at the end of your session, you wind up with a nice little report about how things went, how long you studied, how long was it on focus mode, what the emotion tracking was over time, which I think as we keep going and have more folks set up with data to kind of look at, we can start to then tie to actually what you were looking at. Where did things shift? Which might be really helpful for designers as well on, a, on an aggregate level. So there's some things that could not only impact the learner that, that we can pull on an aggregate, aggregate data level to help drive even better content creation or delivery. Okay. So I could choose to share that with the designer of the course and they could use it to improve the content as well. Yeah, we've done a lot of work in terms of delineating where the line is. So the personalized data um, by session is for the user, but the manager does get an aggregate report at the end of the month about how many minutes were spent, you know, and how many capabilities, how many different topics were looked at. But it's it's fairly limited on purpose. You know, you can't share everything amongst the group or else it sort of destroys the purpose, which is if this is my personal assistant, that's a relationship in and of itself. And it's going to be a very different vibe and relationship if, if it's being shared across. So it's definitely around aggregate data and definitely in larger timeframes. And again, the goal is uh, to strengthen the experience of the learner. So when we're looking at a pilot with a manager and a company, that's a slightly different than with a teacher and a classroom in terms of, again, that relationship and the kinds of data that is going to be shared. And of course, all of that is something that is agreed upon and discussed openly in a transparent way, which is sort of the foundation of anything at this point related to data and AI, that you have to be very clear about what's happening in real time. So my boss is not going to get a report saying Dom's always on his phone and seems really disengaged or a video stream of me sitting Absolutely in front of my computer not. for an hour. No. <laughs> No, it's not going to say John's really angry when he's doing that training yesterday. No, not at all. <laughs> Otherwise, I would probably be in trouble too, because, you know, those things happen. And, you know, we, we have some really great conversations also. To me, I think it's really important is that when I think about the era of AI, it's like it's just an overwhelming amount of data, right? And the, the goal of AI is that it's going to be able to access more data so that you can get more accurate representations of what's happening. But the problem to me is that oftentimes we make assumptions about what data means or what it doesn't mean. And so that is a lot of our conversations behind the scenes that you can't just present data on its own. You also have to give some context to make it make more sense so that people don't jump to assumptions. So for example, again, just because someone has a moment of 
a particular emotion doesn't necessarily mean that you need to change your whole training. You know, there's some physiological and sort of biological things that happen. So it's, it's really a little bit more about looking at trends of things and also thinking about how this could be instead of the answer to your question. You know, our goal is not that if a company is using Ahura and getting a monthly report, they're like, cool, I don't have to have any more one-to-ones. <laughs> I don't need to do a performance review. That's not really the goal. The goal is, okay, if I've got a 30-minute one-to-one, maybe now it needs to be a 15-minute one-to-one. And I can be a lot more targeted in what I want to talk about. I want to ask a question about or like point out, hey, I see you've been working on like five or six things. Tell me about them. You know, like really opening up a conversation that's, again, centered around the person that you're talking to rather than anything else. So I think I think there's a, the, what we've been seeing is that that's exactly what's been happening. A little bit more of concentrated or kind of focused time in conversation that actually reduces some of the load on managers. Because the last thing we want is to create a tool that makes more work for managers. They do not like that. And I understand why. So that's really the goal for us is to help them know their team better so that they can better access the skills on the team. Uh, what we know right now is that one of the places that people are needing to look to hire for particular roles is in-house. But if you haven't been noticing the other skills that people have besides what they applied for on their resume for the job that they targeted at the time, you're missing it. And that's money, time, and talent right there, already knowing the team, already knowing your corporate culture and your goals, you're missing it. So these are spaces that can really help those conversations and drive them forward. Okay, so it lets uh, learning development managers, even line managers, potentially hiring managers, be more data-driven in their interactions with people. Absolutely, and everything that we talk about in L&D these days is about that data-driven, but I still am really kind of big on the idea that data by itself is not the answer. You still have to unpack it to look for not what seems to be the clear conclusion, but the questions that you need to ask. What's missing? What else could I ask? Like, what could someone tell me a little bit more about this? And that's where you kind of get the reveal about, oh, okay, that's what this really means. Now I know exactly how to use it to move forward. And I think that that's been the exciting part for us to see those conversations happening. Right. It's just good to hear you say that, as opposed to the data from Ahura AI tells us this, and therefore <laughs> XYZ must be the outcome. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that comes a lot from my teaching life too. You know, when I, when I first became a teacher, one of my first jobs I was working at, well, we call them community schools here now in the Bay Area, but they used to be just called juvenile facilities. So I was working with students that were incarcerated. And I remember my first day, I was very young. I think I was like 23, 22, like very shiny. I think I'd had a parking ticket and that was about it in my whole life. And this very, a very helpful older Joe was like, you know, if anyone gets out of line, you just tell them to sit right down. And he kind of like poked my chest. And I was like, I do not think I'm going to be able to do that. That's not going to be like probably my vibe, right? And so I understood his thinking, but I knew I was going to need to approach things differently for both physical and like kind of like ideological reasons. And I realized I really had to look for the data underneath. If a student is acting a certain way, that's just a cover for other things, right? So the idea of data under the data, yes, the data is the child is like getting ready to throw a chair through the window. And yes, I need to attend to that. But that's a moment that's actually part of a pattern. And what we see with learners is that you have a learning pattern that you can either lean into for the best of it, or you can break it, you can do another one. And I think, unfortunately, we were at a EdTech conference last year, it's actually starting again next week. And I was on a panel with um, some really, really intelligent, very well-known investor kind of VC folks that were talking about 
investing in AI, virtual reality, all these things. And they talked a lot about money and technology. But what was interesting to me is I was sort of a last minute edition on this particular panel and feeling kind of like, oh gosh, what do I have to add? I'm an educator now in this space. And they're talking around numbers and uh, technology, which I can speak to, but not at the level and awareness that they have. But what I noticed very quickly is that when I started talking a little bit more about what's under all these tools, which is the goal of expanding economic opportunity, expanding business models, helping improve communities. Like you could see the audience like lean in. And when the, when it was time for questions and answer kind of sessions, nine out of 10 of the questions were directed at me. And I have to say that was very empowering because it wasn't about me. It was about all of us have a learning experience that comes with us into an adulthood. And that will drive us either to seek out promotions or new skills, or it will prevent us from doing so. And maybe in the past, you could get away with not doing that. You've found a steady thing, you're good. But even right now, it isn't just that we're going to need to be better learners for the next thing. Our thing that we do right now is having new skills added because of generative AI. You're going to need to expand your skill set, whether you want to, or not. And we have to really speak to those folks as well, that if we can repair some of those, you are a great learner. This is a great mindset that you're in, great progress. Here's three things to try right now. These are the things that can help people get kind of a shifting their mindset about who they are and what they're capable of. And that is, um, I think, really the data under the data, that that's going to matter. And in fact, when I started at Ahura, my uh, COO asked me if I could just create a science of learning course based on all of my experiences, because we had started doing volunteer work together and he had heard some things. He's like, can you put it all together on a thing? I'm like, that sounds like fun. I can't believe I've never done that before. And so when I did, I was really surprised. I was thinking to myself, the course would be about like learning, like techniques for studying, right? Like how do you take notes better? You know, what's the interleaved practice about how you kind of break up your study time? But when I looked at the aggregate of everything I had put down in my notes and sort of organized it, organized into six modules, and only one of them was around studying. The other five were about all these accessory skills. I mean, that is really powerful. Things like setting up your physical space, things like mindset, dealing with procrastination, goal setting, and then at the end of it, reflection about what you've learned, which I think it's often overlooked. And so for us, as we were building our technology, that was really key in our mind, that if you're only attending to the tutoring, which is about the studying, you're missing the other five things on the bookends. That's interesting. So things like setting up the physical space, reflecting on what you've learned. What are the other, I think there was five things. So the first is studying. That's obvious. What are the other kind of key pillars? Yeah. So, well, these are the ones that I sort of like pulled out from everything from my reading, my own experience, talking to other professionals, both in L&D and in my own K university space. And so starting with physical space, think about like Maslow's pyramids, you can do a lot of things to set up your physical space so that you do a better job at learning, as silly as that sounds. And I think about this, this is kind of habit forming. Um, and again, you can kind of also see it with other things as well. If you know that you want to get better at working out, put your bag by the door every day, you know, have it packed and by the door, you can set yourself up for that. When you sit down to learn, don't go, oh, I wonder what I'm going to do today. You should have a sticky note already with the three things you're going to do. Like it needs to be there. So you can take away the um, mental load of planning 
And, you know, you're going to use all your energy reserve doing that when you want to use that energy reserve in the beginning, like to do the thing that's hard. So that's the first one, the physical space. The next one is thinking about goal setting and planning. And so again, so often with our trainings, it's about that small thing, but you also need to have your big picture in mind as well. You know, what, what is all this pain of learning to code another, another language or to attack this particular thing you avoided all through high school and university and now it's here? What is the reason that's keeping you motivated when it is not interesting? I think a lot of times in, in learning in L&D, I hear we want to make things fun, which is great. Um, we want to make things easy, which is great. And we want to make it so that people are always happy, which is great, except for that's not learning. At its heart, learning is challenge. So we also have to help build people's ability to navigate both ambiguity and to navigate challenge. If you were never challenged in your learning, then you weren't learning the right thing or at the right level. You, you really haven't advanced yourself. So that push is necessary. We also think about focus and procrastination. That's the third one. That's a big one. So really thinking about what are the tips and tricks, things like the Pomodoro technique and other things that can really help you think about how do I get ahead of what's going to be natural? You know, one of the things that I can say looking at focus data is that there are rhythms, almost like a circadian rhythm for sleep. It's the same thing for learning, right? Like there's only so much your body can take of new knowledge. I can say as an educator, I typically have a, a timer on for how long I'll talk. It's never more than 10 minutes, never more 10 minutes, something new. Then we do something else. And then we can come back to something new. You, you, that old style lecture that you may have had when you were young, that it's just like college, it's just an hour and a half of that. That's, that's not a real thing. So those kinds of things at all, <laughs> right? It's just really not a real thing. So, and educators, I think we have learned that the hard way and, and through, again, data of another kind. So that's another one. Then we get to study skill. Oh, then we get to mindset. You know, Dr. Dweck from Stanford University, I had the honor to get to do some summertime with her when her book came out around mindset, that it actually is not a small thing to believe you can do stuff. And also too, I think the bigger thing that she talks about that I think is really important is again, focusing on the process of learning. So many adults, again, if you ask them about a learning experience, they'll immediately remember something from like fifth grade, like a spelling bee where they missed a word. And like, literally this is a 45 year old person holding on to that all this time, right? Like they missed the moment. Like we didn't make this go, okay, well, that was a great first start. Next year will be better. Like this idea of thinking of this as a process. And I can really just speak to this myself. You know, I do have an ed degree. I have an art degree and I have a science degree. So it's not like I don't have a background in school. I was a teacher. People who become teachers like school were into it, but we were into it in the things we're good at. You know, it's sort of a false thing. So when I moved to ed tech and now I'm helping drive machine learning cycles for AIs, an area that I have no experience in. I'm talking about business and I'm hearing things like KPIs. I've had to look up so many acronyms I cannot even tell you in real time in a meeting to make sure I understood what people were talking about. You know, I've really had to lean into the idea of mindset. Okay, this is a process. You know, this isn't perfect, but this is pretty good for my first time. Now it's time to get it better. And that mindset actually does grow your skills. It's not just a hippy dippy thing. So there's so much research around it. So really leaning into what can you do to build your mindset, like actual practical things? So that's the fourth one. The fifth one is study strategies. The things we like to do are usually not good. So like sitting down for 
three hour cramming session for your final exam. You're going to do it in order of the chapters <laughs> and you're each going to get like 30 minutes or you're going to do one thing for three hours and the next thing the next day for three hours is not great at all. I can say this from um, my background in dance. I was a professional dancer for uh, more than a few years. And one of the things that was so interesting to me when I started moving into that professional space and practice got a lot more intense was that you would learn part of your choreography and you would just keep repeating it first with without music slow, then with music, it looks great. Then you'd learn a new part and then you'd put them together and you're feeling good. Like, okay, I've got it. You put it together and it looks like none of you actually remember how to walk. I mean, it's like so hilariously funny that even at a professional level, like that first time you put things together is just a hot mess. Um, and that idea of how do we but when you do put it together, that's when you really learn it because now you got to do transitions. That's where the real learning comes from. So if you only focus on getting good at things in lanes, when you get to the test where everything is, you know, kind of jumbled up and you had to put things together, it's that's why things can fall apart. So, well, one of the reasons. So this idea of different strategies that are backed by science research that can help you get the most out of your study sessions is the fifth one. And then the final one, you know, one of the things I see a lot in L&D and in education in general is a focus on an assessment as telling you, did the person learn it? And yeah, I mean, it can do that. I, I'm not saying it doesn't do that. But we also have to think about reflection for the learner. When the learner takes the test, it's almost a reinforcement like, oh yeah, that's what I was supposed to have learned. <laughs> it's like a review, if you will. And so the taking the test itself is not simply a performance. It's actually a learning experience. And so when you think of a test as a learning experience, that's a really big mind shift about, oh, I actually learned a lot from taking this test. And in fact, one of the things that was a kind of a pretty big shock for my students, particularly in my upper level courses, you know, in science and high school, and of course at Cal, is I would suggest that instead of studying for a final and then taking a practice test, take the practice test first. You know, their eyes kind of like, I'm like, do the, do the review, make your practice test the review instead of and it gets you there a lot faster. And it's also, I'll be honest, there's some fight or flight there, Don. Like you feel it, even though you don't okay, I'm taking a practice test without reviewing. This might go not well, but you got to get in the mindset of, okay, let's see what shows up. And you might be surprised at what is still present for you. But it also, again, you see very clearly where things did not go well. And it is quite an incentivizer. Like, okay, I don't like how this feels. Now I know I don't want to go in order. I need to go here first. It's very powerful. So those are the things that I kind of came up with. And then from there, we built out nudges that can pop up in real time, as well as weekly things we can send as emails or put on the dashboard for folks that they visit when they visit in between sessions. Mm. Yeah, I love the taking a pretest first. It's like if you're you're worried about something and you avoid going to the doctor or something because you might not like what you hear. But of course, we all know the better part of us knows it's better to know the truth as soon as possible and deal with accurate information. It's true. I was just going to ask, how do the nudges work? So would it literally be a prompt that says, hey, Dom, have you thought about taking a practice test? rather than because it sees that I'm cramming by uh, one of the classic ineffective things that I used to do is like highlighting things. And it's like, oh, I've learned something because I've highlighted a few things. 
Okay, can I just say a little side note on the highlighting? Highlighting for me is the worst because I feel like the words get left out. So every everybody deserves to be highlighted. It's so, so I wind up with like this rainbow of colors and I can't even read anything. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so that is what we're building right now. The idea that the nudges, the nudge library right now is smaller. You know, we're testing out the ones that are really basic because right now what people really want to know is can, can a horror tell if I'm on my cell phone, which we totally can because I have done a lot of work on what's the angle of the head, how many seconds, what does that look like? So that's really the testing space now. But we already have our library ready that as we start to, again, scale up on our nudge ability with our platform, that is absolutely what we want to do. We want, that's how it's going to get personalized, right? As we get to know your nudges better, meaning that you're giving us feedback. Well, no, I wasn't on my cell phone. We can, okay, we can now personalize the experience for you. And when it happens, we can suggest, not just tell you not to do it, but also suggest something you could do. And also too, to give you some of the reason why. I think that one of the things that we see particularly for groups that have been ill-served by education. So disproportionate harm of AI, disproportionate harm in society. We're talking Black Americans in particular, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of women, pretty much any marginalized group. What we find is that they have internalized a lot of these things and there's a lot of shame around, okay, I'm just not good at this. Nope. No, that's not it. Like, I don't know if we should keep all that. I'm sorry. That might be too much, but that is a big part of what we're trying to do is disrupt systems. All right, that I'll be honest. This is just an aside. That is a huge part of my thinking, and my entire life has been around disrupting the systems that have been the the barrier to folks accessing what they're actually good at. I mean, the only reason why I'm a science major is that my mother worked for the FDA, and my mother's like 78 now. Sorry, mom, I just said that, and she um. I looked up how many women have a science degree at her age group, and it's less than 2%. So I had a role model to do that. And so we know that schools reflect society, that there aren't a lot of role models. So how are we building this in a way that can disrupt those powers? And one of the things going to what you just said, again, I guess it's kind of a side, is that it's better to know the truth, but it has to be in a trusting relationship or else it actually keeps you from going forward. You know, it's demoralizing. But if knowing the truth is in a supportive space, whether it be with a person or that more uh, like neutral, objective AI tutor that's saying, hey, that's not right, but let's try this. Those can have very powerful disruptive impacts as well. Um, I know this is very meta, but that's the background. So sorry. This is fantastic. It's like, because on the one hand, I can see the downsides to AI. In some ways, there's no substitute to a human being being there to give you a nudge. But also, even the best teacher can sometimes, you know, show their emotions. Like, after someone's got it wrong 10 times, they might just little micro expression like, whereas the AI is never going to do that, right? Uh, You're always going to carefully check the nudges that it feeds back to the user. So they'll always be supportive. You know, I have to agree with that. And I can only say this going to college and knowing that my bank account was probably not where it needed to be. And instead of talking to the teller, I called. This was before apps, right? I was like, I'd rather just hear it from the automated than talk to a person. That's just real. I'm not always saying that that's the right thing to do, but that's just real. I would also say, you know, I've built a really great community with my high school and and college students where it is a really collaborative space. However, I am always very aware that as much as that might be true and they say it's true and I think it's true, there is still power because I am giving a grade. I am, I am making an assessment. So even if I have none of the things you just said and I am all the smiley, we both, that's under, that's under the context of that is always present. And so a lot of your work as an educator is to try to 
diffuse that or move that to the side, but it's not gone. I'm still giving you a grade, no matter how much I talked about your mindset, right? So, so those are some systemic things. Same thing with your boss. I mean, great that you have a nice open relationship with your boss. They're still doing a performance review. So, so I do think you are right that these automated tools, I think the very problems that we are saying they're going to cause, they are also the thing that can solve them. So um, I, I mean, I know maybe I, I know it's more complex and a more contextualized conversation than that. But I think the idea of trying to pretend that these things aren't here, and that somehow we're going to be able to stay in our bubble is not true. And so we have this moment. And this is really where our company is that, you know, one of our founders is from Iran, was in a refugee camp before he came to the United States, has a very big respect for what educational systems and experiences that he had at NASA and other places as a child really helped him be the success he is now. And then our other co-founders from Nigeria came here for college and is now using his platform to actually drive development in his home country. It's very empowering, right? And this is a group that has decided they're going to have an entire startup team that is representing every continent. That is not a norm. They brought in an educator as an expert. We're often not in these circles. I mean, I just really feel like we are thinking of this as AI is here. It's never, it's not going away. So you can choose to go, oh, I'm going to go really slow till it's figured out. And then if it feels good to me, we'll use it. It's going to get used whether you are part of it or not. So why not be part of it and start driving the the level? You know, like we cannot wait for the laws to get there. They're going to be too slow. And the people there aren't the experts. Even the people they're bringing in to discuss it with our folks are not the people driving this. So we are the ones to go, you know what? Let's just use it for the best purpose ever for learning. And let's center not the business goal, although this will absolutely help business goals, but let's center the learner. This is again, like that Fitbit, like Conamigo. So I'm, I'm really happy with how we're attempting to use AI to its best purposes. And like you said, it can be in some ways better than a person in some ways around neutrality or bias if we are not only talking about best practices and data collection, but also in use case and, and how algorithms are developed. So that's really where I think we shine on the back end is thinking about all of the things that you're talking about so that a learner can really feel like, yeah, it's not a person, but I trust what this is telling me. And now I have the info I need to do something better for myself. Yeah, let's talk about that trust because it is perhaps not the most natural thing to trust a machine or a computer. And so if we could play out an example. So I do have a real problem with procrastination, including the classic being on my phone. So let's say it detects that I'm just chronically distracted and looking at my phone all the time. How does it nudge me in such a way that I don't feel discouraged, that it doesn't actually make the problem worse where I'm like, ah, oh, Ahura's right. I'm a hopelessly distracted chronic procrastinator and make me want to give up? How does it do it in a supportive way? You mean your fire alarm or smoke alarm doesn't go off in your house? That's not going to go for you? I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not going to like, <laughs> you know, I, I love your question for two reasons. One, yeah, our goal is to be as neutral as possible. So literally the language is, it looks like you are on your phone and then you have, then there are three options. Yes, I'm coming back now or yes, I'll be back later or no, I'm not on my phone. So again, it's a very light touch because at the end of the day, a tool cannot replace you doing the work. <laughs> like at the end of the day, it might be really for you, Dom. And this is something that again, my, 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 uh, 
co-founder uh, Alex and I talk about quite a bit because he's uh, awful about this because he's a, a co-founder of a company. The idea that you would actually spend you know 30 minutes on this is not going to happen on a particular lesson day. He's going to be on his phone and probably on another phone and on a document while he's doing the thing. So I think it's a matter of two things. Number one, us suggesting to you a different approach. So I think the biggest um, thing that adults do wrong, one of the biggest things they do wrong, because adults have many skills, you know, so we think we can do all the things. And so we schedule an hour of time for studying. Who has that? Nobody has that. You all do not have that. So it's, in fact, one of the hardest things to do when I'm doing coaching sessions is to say, well, why don't we put 20 minutes on your calendar? I'm like, oh, no, I want to put at least two hours. I'm like, let's start with 20 because you could maybe commit to not being on your phone for 15, for 20, not for an hour, right? So again, it's sort of like the Pomodoro technique, the idea that set your timer for a very small period, five minutes. And you're going to train your brain that, well, that felt really good. Give yourself a reward. You get to play your game. I don't know. Whatever you're doing on your phone, do the thing. But then like really set up some boundaries for yourself. So we can nudge you with suggestions around how to do that, which could be shorten the time or, hey, have you heard of the Pomodoro effect? Try it right now. And most people at this point probably have heard of it. But that reminder is good because it's in real time. It's saying you're doing it right now. You're doing it like right now. So why don't we try this right now? I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen in terms of like performance change, changing your habits, your behaviors, which will lead to you accessing things that you didn't even know you could do. I certainly was not expecting as a music major to become an award-winning science educator. I was certainly not expecting to become a professional dancer. These came out of a habit or a mindset of like, I want to try something new. I really want to get better at it that allowed me to do things that I wouldn't normally do um, on my own. So I think that's our, our skill set is having the, the nudge in real time when it's happening. So it's in your mind right now, like, oh, I should do that. Oh, I need to do it right now. Let's do it right now. Um, but also I have to say again, tools are not magical. You are still at the center. And if you, you want to turn off Ahura or you don't want to use your Fitbit to track your water intake, okay. You know, that's, that's still, there's still that autonomy and direction by you. But when you are ready, the tool is there and can help you. Mm. So with something like being on my phone, it's easy to give a nudge. How would Ahura help me with something like mindset? Like this, perhaps the, the trickiest part is like, why am I doing this in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of my background is taking sort of, again, if I'm thinking, okay, yes, I'm a great science teacher, kids will say that. But when you ask students like, why? Because not every student I have becomes a science major, they might become a business major. They talk about this, that it was about, it wasn't that I was just a cheerleader, great job, you can do it. That's not really what, although totally did that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, how do you help people build like micro things they can do that actually do this? So I can say, one of the things that is a nudge, which is actually having statements. I don't mean like necessarily affirmations. I know not everyone's into that, but literally like changing your frame of how you talk to yourself. So one of the first things we know when we talk about say imposter syndrome, which is related to mindset, they're very, very one very much will disrupt the other is about stopped and disrupt notice and disrupt. So already, I know that seems very small, Don, but seriously, like if you have a nudge saying, Hey, you know, like, <laughs> I don't want to say stop it, but like, you know, you really do have to kind of eliminate some words from your language. I um, mean, you need to add some new ones in. So this idea of focusing on process, the language that we use, like, 
like, great start, you know, keep going. This is just the first step. I know they sound like small things, but it those subtle things, I I can say this, I may take back a little bit. One of the things when I got into L&D when we're working with adults, I think there's this mistake in that adults are so different than the younger people that I've worked with. So think, you know, late teens or early teens to early 20s. That's usually been my group for the past two decades, right? But they're not that different. Um, and what I mean by that is there isn't going to be some one magic bullet that makes an adult learner suddenly be on fire for any particular thing that they're learning. It's just as it was in school that you're building these things, this foundation of many small things that together, they'll just be this moment where like, whoa, I'm somewhere new. I don't know if you've ever had this level up moment, Dom, where you're like, wow, I, I, I've had this happen in dance before where I've been practicing something particularly complicated. It's just not happening, not happening, getting frustrated go to sleep. And then the next day in practice, I do it and it's right. And it's right forever. And I don't know what happened, but clearly something happened, right? That moment, that's what all these small things do. So this idea of practicing, okay, I've got a timer here. I'm going to do Pomodoro impact. So that is actually going to affect your mindset because now you've had a win. You actually didn't use your phone for five minutes. It's an incentive to do it for another 10, that kind of thing. When you have kind of things set up that you already are using your time in a way that you feel like you actually reached a goal for that session, that's another win that builds mindset. And when you start seeing language on the screen that you can then emulate for yourself around, hey, this is a great first step. I've never done this before. This is pretty amazing for never having done this before. Like reframing what success is. And then also, I think you bring up the last point for me is that mindset, I think sometimes has been distilled down to this idea of just encourage people, but that's not it. The other part is using the data in front of you to plan for the next. So mindset means I can handle seeing the truth. Okay, I only did eight minutes of an hour. And now I'm going to make a plan to do better. And so the two are not separate. They're not siloed They're The mindset is a, is a thread that without it makes it very hard to access these other tips and tools and nudges in a way that'll really move you forward. And can Ahura guide me through creating that plan? Absolutely. So again, I did create a course around it. So we do have like a like a collection of like learning courses that are free that you can look at on our platform as well. I mean, there are many all around, but I I mean, I'm a little partial to ours. So there you go. <laughs> Since I made it myself, but this idea of thinking about um, there are many things to utilize for yourself. But what I've also noticed, you know, uh, one of the things I noticed is that we focus a lot on content creation at L&D, which is true, which is real you know, your content has to be specifically attached to what your outcome needs to be for you as a company, what you're envisioning, and it needs to be engaging. And I'm not saying that that's not true. However, just because you have gorgeous content that you spent many hours and many dollars making does not mean you're going to have the outcomes that you want. You know, it has to, the person has to be able to receive it. Um, and I know the goal of better content is that maybe more people at least get in the door, but these are the more nuanced spaces that amplify the impact of the work you spent creating great content well beyond your original point and it's self-sustaining for the next. So, you know, my goal with students is that, I mean, yes, I want them to have an amazing educator or facilitator every time they're learning something new, either amazing because they're a skill set or because their ability to connect with you personally. But that's not every day. And so the idea for me is very empowering for students to know that, yes, that would be great. But if it doesn't happen, that's not going to block me. 
that I can still get the most out of this, no matter what this is. And I think that that is really at the heart of what mindset's about, that yes, there are things out of your control, but what I can control is my assessment of where I am in the process, that it is a process and that I can move forward. And the, and the research says that that's not just in our heads. People literally, like when you look at Dr. Tweck's research, particularly around math skills, that's where she started, I think, because people are like, oh, maybe for some things, but not this is hardwired, either you are or you aren't. Like it's so dramatically true that when people were taught about what mindset is and that it can help you, it actually helped people actually stay engaged and see they had more skills than they did before. So to recap, the future of learning and development in the AI era, what we've discussed today is that, yeah, AI can help us develop particular skills, but it has this incredibly powerful ability, and you're doing this at Hura AI, to help people essentially learn how to learn and to get better through nudges and prompts and uh, personalized advice on things like setting up physical spaces, reflecting on what you've learned, mindset, why you're learning what you're learning, dealing with things which we've uh, drilled on probably because it's a very relatable example of things like procrastination and things like scrolling on our phones, and even help us develop things like study strategy and our approach to testing and making testing a learning experience. So these are some of the things that we can do with AI to change the way we do learning and development. And it sounds like the focus at Okura AI is mostly corporate, but you're also very interested in rolling this out to people of all ages, to students. These are some of the people that could benefit most from a cost-effective, essentially personalized AI learning coach. Absolutely. In fact, we started with the idea that this would be a great tool, thinking from the manager point of view, for small or medium-sized businesses who don't really have the budget yet for a robust L&D program, but they need something to help them. Uh, And again, overworked managers are not going to be able to drive learning plans for every individual person, but particularly in a small company, you need people learning. You need a small, agile team that can take on many roles. How can we help them? We also thought that working with adults would be a little bit easier as a starting point because you don't need to get additional, you know, signatures and authorizations from guardians and parents. However, we've also found that folks are interested at that level, right? Because particularly we looked at community colleges and innovative public and private charter schools at the high school level where folks that are really engaged with the idea of what uh, technology can do that are not afraid of it and maybe have a smaller system where they're working with particular populations that are either ready for this or need additional support beyond what the budgets for facilitators or teachers are, have been another space. I I think there's kind of like this idea of B2B and B2C, right? That we can see that our original was thinking about how can this help the company and the manager as well as the the learner and also for the university and, and high school space that this really is about individual learners being taking an extra step to, to get ahead to, or to help fill in gaps. Um, and we see that a lot, particularly with adult learners or might be going back to school. And I can say even for myself, I mean, I, I, uh, my last degree was in 2016, so a little bit of time, but the one before that was, you know, maybe eight years before that. And so this degree, even though I have a history of being good at school, I'm a teacher, but it was in a completely different subject area. And I can say I was feeling it. Like I would even go to school and say, 
I've got a final and it, I do not feel good. And I even said to them, is this how this feels? And because like, yes, yes, this is how it feels. And I realized that I, even for someone with a background and a wealth of sort of resources that should give me confidence in my competence, it is a very human experience to feel unsure. And so any tool that could help you get over that bump so that you can get in a calmer space to do what you are really prepared to do is what we wanted to help provide. Okay. So we've talked about how we can use AI tools like Ahura in a corporate setting. Can we talk more broadly about some of the applications for Ahura and similar tools that are AI driven in the learning space more broadly to solve and tackle bigger global problems? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we talked about early on when I was moving from my classroom space into Ahura, you know, I was very happy as a teacher. I really do feel like the work we do in the classroom is helping students be empowered to know that they can do anything they want to and to pursue their goals. And that's, that's wonderful. And I already know that some of my students are doing amazing things that aren't just impacting their families or their communities, that they're actually doing things that I've seen them in the newspaper, they've been on the Grammys, they're doing things that are really excited to see on bigger stages. And when I think about the inception of how Ahura was created and how our co-founders are from places where they were going through extreme amounts of either unrest, disruptions, or just lack of resources, and how people are still living in those conditions across the world today, what we need to be building is a group of emerging leaders that are equipped to use their own creative specialized skills and apply them toward not just company problems or community needs, but literally on the global scale, whether that's climate change, economic things related to Bitcoin or any other kinds of like economic models, like whatever it might be, we have to have people beyond a specific skill. We want them to be thinking about themselves applying uh, to every possible level and scale of problem and creating the solutions because our solution makers right now are lovely, but they're not enough. We need more. We need different entry points and we need them now. So that's really, to me, the biggest thing. And in fact, that's actually driven part of our business model is that for every certain number of corporate licenses for a horror that are, are purchased here, we donate a specific number back to communities, particularly across Africa right now, but expanding beyond that as well. And that's really a commitment that we've made about what our focus is, is global, it's future, and it's our emerging leaders from everywhere. You know, and just related to that, like, how do we get more people at the table? I think it also means that we in L&D and in high school, but also in L&D have to really reframe who we're serving. Again, this idea that it's not just the high flyers who want to get a promotion or be a manager that gets the best quality of kind of resources available. Because in most spaces, you just don't have the ability to scale high quality programs for every person. And not every person on your team feels that it's for them, even if you are offering it, right? And so for us at Ahura, that idea of attending to people as learners and helping them build their identity as a learner around process, around strategies that help them over the speed bumps that get in the way of trying new things, that's going to help us engage more, I guess, innovators that we didn't even know were in our midst. And so for us, this idea that L&D needs to think differently, not just in terms of 
the tools they're using, but the strategies and their purposes are to serve as many of the folks on their team as possible to grow whatever skills that the company and the person want to that can be applied in new ways. And that's really kind of where we're thinking about how our tool serves both the company, it serves as well the person, it serves the community. Um, and it's a great companion to all these great content development spaces that are doing wonderful things around specific skill sets. But again, this is just for us another level of accessibility that even the best content about Python or whatever it might be isn't enough if a person is not ready to receive it. And so this accessibility space of mindset, procrastination, focus, reflection, these are the things that are going to make every new piece of content that we create shine and, and allow our people to shine. And that serves everyone. Yeah, I love the generalizability of the approach. It doesn't matter if you're learning Python or how to bake a cake or how to study itself. Yeah, I think that's really, you know, and again, I'm, I'm very lucky in that uh, just my own history, I have a lived experience of this. Like, I mean, I got the, uh, <laughs> I got the most cooperative award in softball as a high schooler. Can we just discuss that's not a real award and should not be given? I, I really wasn't that great at it. So when I became a professional dancer, and I think I called my mom and said, hey, I'm going to be on TV on ESPN this week. I think she actually fell out laughing on the phone and I'm not at all offended because that's fair. And so this idea of what is it that allowed me to move into a space that I had no business thinking that I would could inhabit. And one of them is that this idea of passion and curiosity. I'm just, a, I'm a passionate person. When I decide I want to do something, my family says I don't have hobbies. Once I've decided I want to try something, I'm going to just immerse myself. So that's a personality piece. But also to this idea of tending to passion or purpose, but also this idea that it's something new. Let's just see how it goes. Like having less expectations on myself or outcome, allowed it allowed a space for outcomes to occur and also to access clearly there was a talent there that I would have absolutely missed if I had determined from my background <laughs> that I, I had no business in the space. And so I think for us, attending to that foundation of you as a learner, that's agnostic of whatever it is, means that you enter spaces just to see how it goes. And if you decide you don't like it or it's not for you, that's because of preference and passion, not because you didn't think you could. Okay. Thanks for sharing. So you've got so much great stuff. So I think we'll wrap up. So thanks for joining us on the Data Driven Podcast today. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks to Maria Laws, Director of Learning Experience Design at Ahura AI Inc. for joining us. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Maria, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can also contact her on Twitter, where her handle is at mlaws1224 or visit her company website, ahuraai.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to datadrivenpod.com. We have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your most compelling uses of data, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the Data Driven Podcast. Of course, you can always contact me directly, search for Dominic Bohan on LinkedIn, or visit storyiq.com. If you haven't subscribed yet, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. That's all for today. But remember, until next time, when it comes to data, less is more.